Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Today I'd like to talk to you about something that I feel like is important that we need to be reminded of, and that is what the greatest commandment is from the Lord, which is love. I want to read a number of scriptures, and I want to discuss some different points with you. First of all, I want to start Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And Jesus also spoke in Luke along the same lines and said, and in Luke 10, 25 it says, And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the question is here, being more specific, not only is what is the greatest commandment, but what does it take to inherit eternal life? And I want us to focus on that today because all of us are hoping for eternal life. We want to be reminded today of what it's going to take to have that. And it's really pretty simple, but it's also very profound. So he was, Jesus goes on to ask this lawyer, he said, what is written in the law and how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And the question was, Eternally. You will live eternally. So eternal life is conditional. I can say this fairly now after reading this. Eternal life is conditional upon loving the Lord with all of your heart and with your whole mind and with your, all of your strength and with everything that's within you and loving your neighbors yourself. So I thought it would be important because people have asked me this question before. What does it mean to love God with all your heart? So I'm going to try to break that down so we can personalize it and apply it to our own lives and take a closer look at what it really means. First of all, just in a general sense, it means this. It means that nothing nor anyone can be more important to you than the Lord, than His truth, than His ways, than His principles, than His values, than His Word, than getting His approval, than His character is, or His nature, or His goodness, 
And nothing can be more important, no people can be more important to you than the people of God. And also, it should be extremely important to all of us that we should have the love of God. Jesus and in, in, in John and various other places said, abide in my love, which means it's possible for you to not abide in his love. In other words, he commanded us to abide in his love. And that was after he had already explained about bearing fruit and overcoming and that the walk of love, loving God with all your heart was the key. So what does it mean to love God with all your heart? It means that you will choose to be with his people and consider that being more important than being with worldly friends and worldly family members. In 1 Corinthians, it says in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So let me explain to you more about that. This is something we always have warned the youth about because they have such a tendency to want approval from the worldly friends they meet at school or wherever they go. And they want to hang out with, sometimes with the wrong kind of people. But it's not only true for young people, but it also can be true for adults as well when they make compromises for family, for friends, for co-workers, or any kind of situation that may arise in their life. Here's what the truth is about that. Hanging out with worldly friends or family just for social purposes. Now, I want to emphasize this. Hanging out with them, being with them, wanting to be with them just for social purposes will always lead to you being corrupted. It never fails. It always happens. Don't be deceived. Say, well, these are good people. They're different. They're not like some people. They don't do as bad stuff as other people do. No, don't be deceived because if they're not of God and they're not filled with the Spirit of God, they have a corrupted worldly view and their philosophies will influence you. You will always come down. Always. There are no exceptions to this. But on the other hand, if you draw near to them, <clears throat> I'm not saying run and live in a cave or anything, but if you draw near to them, in order to share the truth with them, or try to, and, and try to lead them, you know, try, try to turn them away from their sins and turn them towards the Lord, that is truly loving them. That's not just loving yourself. On the other hand, when you're just hanging out with them for your own desires, for your own social acceptance, that's very selfish, very self-centered, and you're not thinking one bit about their well-being. You're only thinking about yourself. So what I would encourage you to do is check your motive. Why do you want to hang around with people that don't love God? I don't care if it's family, friend. I don't care if it's mother, father, son, or daughter. Why do you want to spend a lot of time with them? Ask, you need to answer that. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So here's the key. The Lord must be our first love. The one we love above all else. The one we love more than anyone else. 
we must prove that when we we must prove this when we put him above everyone else, above people, above you know, put his truth above people, put his character above people, put his ways above people, put his word above people, even our own children, even our own friends. He's got to be more important than anyone else. So what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? Another thing it means is that you will not love any form of religion or any type of religious traditions more than the Lord. If y'all notice around the county, there's signs posted in a lot of people's yard that say, <clears throat> I love my church, P. Vine Baptist. You've seen those signs? They're, they're all over the place. They're not saying, I love God. They're not saying, I love holiness. They're not saying, I love righteousness. They're not saying, I love the Bible. They're not saying, I love the truth. They're saying, I love my church. That sounds idolatrous. And it's like they're marketing the church, which you know how it comes out, more members equal more money. It's business. And so we got to watch out. Not so much us, but as people in general, the people of God, we got to watch out. For loving a church or a system of religion more than the Lord. Also, another thing we got to watch out for because many of us came from different backgrounds, and sometimes we have these, I call them religious things still in us, kind of religious idols or religious experiences that we kind of wish we could recreate or do again or have again, or we miss them or we think about them. Any religious ritual that is loved more than just having a sincere heart for loving God, to have a sincere relationship with God, any religious tradition that we love more than that, more than that sincere relationship with God, becomes an idol. Often churchgoers, and some of us have been there, allow rituals and ceremonies to grab our hearts. And then these churchgoers, they end up loving the traditions of men more than God. In my effort in many times to talk with people that are, that are hung up on their religious traditions, they just sometimes can't turn loose of them. Whether it's trying to keep the Sabbath, like we talked to someone recently, or whether it's about the tithing, or whether it's about the paid pastor, or whatever it is, or about you know doing the different ceremonies that the different churches offer, they just can't seem to turn loose of them because they have their hearts. So again, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means, for one thing, that you will put Christian fellowship, prayer, and study of His Word as being more important than any, than any kind of worldly entertainment or worldly pleasure. I see people getting so excited about movies and games and sports and things like that, that they love. And sometimes I've seen it here among us. We've talked about it more interested in those things than they are in the things of God. Be careful, because worshiping God is what your heart goes after. It's not performing a ceremony. It's where your heart's at. Loving God is where your heart's at or where it's not at. So things like we have in this generation, and you say entertainment like we have today, you know, with all the entertainment and different choices we have, is a very new thing. Mankind's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Entertainment was something that didn't exist until recent times, not like we see it today. 
smartphones, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, video games, sports, movies, hundreds and hundreds of cable TV stations, internet, YouTube, and other social medias have corrupted the minds of this generation and distracted the souls of men away from and causing them to forget God. That's where we're at today. And it's no different in the modern American church. And that's why we have warned in here many times about these things. Be careful. They can carry your hearts away from God. Again, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? Another, another answer to that would be for you to look, for us to look for any and every opportunity we can to share with others the hope that we have in the Lord. Ask yourself this question. How much do I care about another soul? Do you really care? Are you troubled? Do you cry to the Lord for, the, for mankind? Do you cry to the Lord for your neighbors and your friends, your co-workers? Do you look for opportunities to share with them? Do you cry out to the Lord for your own family and your own children? Are you concerned about their souls? What about extended family members? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to try to reach them if you have any way? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to go to some trouble? Are you willing to suffer a little bit? Are you willing to be rejected in case you might could reach their souls? Or do you, do you just write them off so you don't have to deal with it, so you don't have to fool with it? The question is, do you really care about souls? Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. I like Paul's attitude. The Apostle Paul said this, Paul said, Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are, who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as without law, though not being without law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may, be by, may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do we care about other people's souls? Or do we just care about a relationship that we're getting something out of? Or do we just care about not fooling with certain people because we don't want to go to the trouble? Or are we ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Are we ashamed to talk about Jesus? Are we ashamed to tell people we're not going to participate in this or that? Or are we ashamed to try to win souls? Are we ashamed? The Lord says, if you deny me, I will also deny you before my Father. The Lord said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. 
Lord says, if you reject me, I'll reject you. So the question is, what is it to love the Lord with all of our heart? If we really love the Lord, if we really love Him, not just have the abstract concept, oh, I love the Lord, but to really love Him, we will do everything we can to reach souls of men, our family, our children, our brothers, our sisters, our, our, fellow, our fellow believers in the body of Christ, always working and laboring in the vineyard to try to make sure that no one falls away, that no one falls into sin, that no one stays in sin. If you don't care about souls, the souls of others, then what's the point? What's the point? Why are we here? We're here just to enjoy life and make some money and pay some bills and have some fun. And why are we here? Unless we're going to somehow make some effort to reach people. If we don't care about souls of others, then how would the Lord care about our soul? Because in that case, we wouldn't be loving our neighbors ourselves, and certainly not loving the Lord, right? How many compromises are we making with other people without saying anything about Jesus or without saying anything about what's right or without saying anything about our testimony and how God has changed our life? Another way that we can answer the question, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means to stand up for what's right. In any situation, it doesn't matter if it's in business, it doesn't matter if it's at work, it doesn't matter if it's with your co-worker, your friend, your family, it doesn't matter if it's with who you're hanging out with, where you're going to school, where you go to, whatever you do, it's for standing up for what's right and not participating with those that do wrong or hanging out with those that are not of, of God. It means that you'll do this even if you're rejected or mocked or made fun of or persecuted because you love God more than anything else. You're willing to suffer for His namesake. That's what it is to love God with all your heart. I know what it's like to be persecuted. I know what it's like to be falsely accused. And I'm so thankful that I do. It causes my heart to leap for joy knowing Jesus said when they do this, He says, leap for joy for a greater reward in heaven. Because you've been rejected and, and ostracized and falsely accused for my name's sake. But he said, it's not so with the false teachers. Woe be to you when all men speak well of you. I'd much rather be on that side of the fence to be falsely accused and mocked. So Galatians 1.10 says, Paul said, For am I now seeking the favor of men? Oh, this man-pleasing thing is so terrible. We want people to think well of us. We want people to like us. We want people to be our friend, our buddy, our pal. We want them to, to like us. It is so deadly. Paul said, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I wouldn't belong to Jesus if I'm still here trying to please men. What does it matter what somebody thinks of you? What does it matter what they say about you? It only matters what God thinks of you. It only matters what God thinks of you. It only matters what He's going to say about you. You can't have it both ways. Also, in asking the question, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means that you will always look after the best interests of others more than your own interests. And this principle often shows up 
In dealing with material things here on the earth, especially in business or in transactions involving money, also it can also be reflected in the quality of service that you give to others, the kind of work you do, how well you do it. Are you doing it with excellence or are you just getting by? One of the things that I run into and in having counseled with many married couples over the years this thing about looking after the best interests of others sometimes is just as simple as this. A husband listening to intently what his wife is sharing and being able to know her feelings, hear her heartbeat, and care about how she feels. Or it could be the wife listening to her husband. It could be the same thing. Or it could be Someone in the body of Christ sharing with somebody else and then somebody else not even paying attention to what they're saying or being able to remember what was said because their heart's not engaged. You see, looking after the best interests of others is taking care about what people are saying and how they feel and paying attention and listening to them with a whole heart so that we'll know how to help them, how to care for them, how to serve them. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. You can't serve unless you know what the need is. You won't know what the need is unless you're paying attention with all of your heart. Also, to answer the question, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means to gladly receive instruction and to embrace, embrace, embrace correction. Because... If you love God, then you certainly want to overcome. You certainly want to do what's right, and you certainly want to get it right. So you embrace correction and instruction if you love God with all your heart. But if you have this attitude, well, I'm not even going to fool with that because I, I'd get in trouble, or I wouldn't do it right, or somebody would call me out, or somebody would question it, so I'm just not even going to fool with it. All you're doing then is serving yourself. There's no fear in love. If your motive is just to love and help and you make a mistake, there's nothing to fear. You'll be glad to find out you made a mistake. In humility, you'll be glad to make it right. So there's no problem there. You don't have to fear making a mistake and you don't even have to fear being corrected. You want to be corrected. You want it to be right because you love God more than yourself. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. That's the way of life. Correction, reproofs, discipline, training, instruction. They're the way of life. Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6 says this, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. And faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, if you're not willing to love someone by pointing out to them, especially in the body of Christ, where they're going wrong, and you're just wanting their approval, you're not walking in love. And if you just want to give them kisses and attaboys, and, you know, then you're not being a faithful friend. We've got to get over this, well, I didn't want to make her feel bad. I'd rather you feel bad and be saved than to be happy on your way to hell. Another way that we can see what it means to love the Lord with all of our heart, it means this. It means that you will seek God continually so you will know His will. Continually means continually. 
In other words, you're always in the seeking mode. You're always meditating on His Word. You're always thinking about what's right. You're always asking questions. You're always in prayer. You're always looking at the Word, coming up, uh, meditating on the Word, thinking about the Word, applying the Word to your life. You, you don't take seasons where you skip that. To seek God, is it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> you're always seeking God for continually. That's how you know that you love Him with all your heart. If you don't love Him with all your heart, what you can do is you seek Him for a while, and then you get bored with it, or you get distracted with earthly things, or you get your mind on other things, and you forget God for a while, a few weeks, a few months, and then, then somebody has to sort of wake you up, and you get back into doing it again. That's not loving God with all your heart. Can you see what I'm saying? If I love Rita with all my heart, it's my wife. And I was really sweet to her and faithful to her for three or four months at a time. And then went on a binge and left and she couldn't find me. And I was out doing things that were wrong. And I was gone for two or three weeks or a month or two. Then I came home and said, oh, I'm sorry. I have, I've, been, I've been a terrible husband. I haven't been caring for you and I haven't been here for you. Forgive me. I love you. How would that go over? What about we do the Lord like that? Think about it. He's the living God, the Almighty God, the, the creator of the universe. You can't not think about Him if your eyes are open. Every time I see a hummingbird flower, see a flower bloom, or I see a tree grow, or a leaf come out of a limb, I know God's alive. I can see Him everywhere. How could you forget about Him? Except you don't love Him with all your heart. Your heart's in the world. He says in Proverbs 8, 17, He says, I love those who love me. God, the Lord says, I love those who love me. Okay. Well, I ask this question, what about the ones who don't love Him? Where does that leave them? I'll let you think about that one. But He goes on to say, and, in other words, I love those also who diligently seek me, and they will find me. So seeking God is a lifestyle it's not something you do every once in a while. You're always looking to see where God's at in everything, in your circumstances, in your situation, in your marriage, in your home, with your children, with your job, with your business, with your income, with your finances, with the weather, with, with, the, with the country. Where, where, how's it affecting you? Where's God in all of this? You're always looking for Him. What's He saying? What's He want you to see? Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it's impossible to please him, for he comes, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So you got to believe that God is, that he exists, he's who he says he is, he does what he says he'll do. You got to believe that. And that if you if you believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, you obviously are going to be seeking Him. Otherwise, you wouldn't believe that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. So that's what it means to love the world with all your heart, and that's to be a seeker of God. Another way that we can tell, that we, another way that we can say this is what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, is it means you will always obey the Lord to do what is right, what you know is right in any situation, even if it's painful and even if it's inconvenient and even if it costs you something. 
whether it costs you time, money, or whatever else it might cost you. Doing what's right is always going to be your choice when you love the Lord above all else. You're really tested if you have a business because you'll have opportunities to get by with things that people might not know, but God knows. But really, you have opportunity in every other part of your life too, not just in business. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4 says, By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. In other words, if you're of the world, the world's going to love you. You'll be just fine with worldly people. If you're of the world, you'll fit right in. You can fit right in. You sort of be like a chameleon. If the world's green, you can be green. If the world's blue, you can be blue. If the world's red, you can be red. So, you know, you can just fit in with the world. But those that love God don't fit in with the world. They're actually hated and despised by the world and rejected by the world. Because the world loves its own. It loves those that are like it. That's why it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, Do not love the world. It says, Come out from her, my people. But because you're not of the world, Jesus speaking here, He says, I chose you out of the world because of this the world hates you. In other words, this is how you know that you love the Lord with all your heart. Is the world hating you? Your worldly friends? Your worldly religious people? Your worldly family? Do they hate you? Do they turn against you? Do they reject you? Think about it. Luke 6, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leave for joy, for behold, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the true prophets. So that's another way you can know that you love the Lord with all your heart. If you're rejected and persecuted by some people because of the stand you took. Going on further, another way you can know that you love the Lord with all your heart is by this. It's that you will always be honest and speak the truth even if it's to your pain and even your own humiliation. Proverbs 11.3 says this, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. And Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Think about it. Are you willing to lie? Are you willing to lie to cover up a false motive? Are you willing to lie to cover up your sins? Are you willing to lie to get your way? Are you willing to lie to make yourself look better? Think about it. Then if you are, don't say you love the Lord with all your heart. Say you love yourself more. It goes on to say in verse 20, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. So we're talking about walking in love, and I want to say this before I go too far. 
Be careful that you don't confuse love with just being nice to everybody. Love may not have anything to do with being nice in some situations. Love can be nice. It can be, it can be kind and it can be you know, helpful and agreeable and pleasant. But Jesus also proved to us that love is more than just nice. Jesus, Jesus wasn't nice when he told the Pharisees that their father was a devil. Jesus wasn't nice when he rebuked his own disciples for their lack of faith. Jesus wasn't nice when he whipped out the money changers from the temple and turned over their tables and rebuked them. He wasn't a bit nice, but he walked in love. So nice and love sometimes are confusing. And there's a tendency to think that we've just got to be really nice all the time to walk in love, and that's just not true. Sometimes it's just called fleshly compassion, where you allow people to get by with things that are wrong just because you're trying to be nice to them. Don't be afraid to offend for the sake of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Jesus offended a lot of people. The disciples offended a lot of people. The prophets offended so many people that most of them were put to death. Most of the apostles were put to death. Jesus was put to death. I'm not suggesting that we've got to be physically put to death, but it's possible. But most likely what we have to put to death is our own selfish pride, our own heart, our own ways of wanting the approval of man. We're supposed to take up our cross and deny ourselves. The only one we've really got to please more than anyone else is Jesus Christ. If we do that, then we'll have fellowship with the true believers. What else does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? It means that you will always, and this is a big one. This is probably the biggest one of all I'm going to speak about. I'll spend a little time on this one. It means that you will always put your trust in the Lord and believe in Him. Believe in His faithfulness. Believe in Him being our provider. Believe in His goodness. Believe in Him, believe in Him being the Lord God Almighty that takes care of His people. And refuse to doubt Him. And refuse to lose trust in Him as our Lord God and as our provider and as our Savior. That means we love Him with all of our heart. We put all of our trust in Him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And this last part of the verse, I really don't want you to miss. And do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on it. Don't lean on your feelings. Don't lean on your emotions. Don't lean on your speculations. Believe in God. Trust Him with all of your heart. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8. Blessed is the man whose trust, who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water that extends its root system by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but his leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Do you see this tree is not depending upon the weather. It's not depending upon the economy. It's not depending upon anything on the earth because its roots are in the water. Jesus is the water. It's got its roots in Christ. It's got its roots in the Lord. And it's always going to be green and it's always going to bear its fruit. You see, that tree is like us. 
That tree's trust is not in the circumstances around it, nor is its trust in its own understanding, nor is its trust in having money or the lack of it, nor is, is its trust in its feelings, nor is its trust in what people may say. People are going to say all kinds of things. doesn't matter what they say, but his trust is in the Lord, not in things, circumstances, feelings, or what people say. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years. I have just finished reading Genesis, Exodus, Exodus and Leviticus. And I am astounded how little the people believed and trusted in the Lord. After all that He did, after He proved Himself, He delivered them time and time again from every danger and every enemy. And He fed them manna from heaven. You know, <laughs> He brought water from the rock. I mean, and they grumbled and they worried and they fretted and they were anxious. And what are we going to do now? How are we going to live? You brought us out here to die and on and on and on and on. And He was so upset with them. He said, I brought you through all this that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Well, what was His commandments? To love Him and to trust Him with all your heart. So I put you out in the wilderness to just test you to see what was in your heart. You know what? He, he's got us here in the wilderness of this earth. Do you realize that Peter said, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeals? I mean, they're going to come. Don't be shocked if something goes wrong tomorrow. Don't be shocked if your car catches on fire. Don't be shocked if the economy crashes. Don't be shocked if you lose your job. Don't be shocked if you go broke. Don't be shocked. It's going to happen. Some things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. Stuff's going to happen. I expect it to happen. I hope you do. It's going to happen. We're in the wilderness and our hearts are being tested. In verse 3 he said, He humbled you and let you be hungry and then fed you with manna which you did not know nor, your fathers, nor did your fathers know. In other words, you're out here where there's no grocery stores, there's no crops, there's no food. You're out in the wilderness and you're saying, how are we going to eat? You know, you can put yourself in a, um, your own situation that you may have here on earth in, in modern times. You can, you can change that to your own situation. How are we going to eat? <laughs> That's what it boils down to. How are we going to eat, right? How are we going to eat? But God did something they never expected, which He does so often. He sends it a different way. Manna from heaven. Whoever heard of that? I've had some manna from heaven before. I've had things happen. I never, I couldn't, I look back and said, God's hand was all over that. Wow. I would never figure that out. He did that for me. He's so faithful. He said, I did this that it might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by money alone. Man does not live by physical food alone. Man does not live for physical circumstances alone. Man does not live for these earthly things alone. He lives, but man lives by everything, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That's what we live by. 
That's what we're supposed to live by. That's how you can tell if you love Him with all your heart because you trust Him with all your heart and you believe Him with all your heart. He goes on to say, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. I'll tell you something, I have to buy a pair of shoes about every three to six months because I wear them out. You know, how about you? You ever had a pair of shoes that last you 40 years and not wear a bit? Clothing not wear out? Food coming down from heaven? See, he did a lot of things he'd never done before. He proved to them that he could do anything he wanted to. God has no end to his resources. Just because we don't know how he's going to do it, don't mean we can't trust him. He can do it any way he wants to. So these people that were supposed to believe in him, they were tested. Here's how they were tested. This is how we're going to be tested. They were tested by being placed in a situation where they could not see how it was going to work out. Do you get the point there? Because if they could see how it was going to work out, they wouldn't need to have any faith or trust in God. If they could see it, if they had the blueprint of the manna and the water coming out of the rock before they got to the rock, if it's all laid out on a blueprint, they would have had no reason to trust in God. But they couldn't see how it was going to work out. And when we think we've got to know how it's going to work out before we can trust, we're insulting in the worst way the integrity of our holy God. They had no faith in God. They only had faith in what they could see. If they couldn't see it, they couldn't believe it. Hebrews 3, 13, 17 says, And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? They died like flies out there. All of them died except the children. They grew up and then they were able to enter the promise. The children entered the promised land, not the, not the adults. Only Joshua and Caleb. In verse 18 he says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? What does he mean enter his rest? Rest is when you're trusting God. Rest is when you're at peace with God. Rest is when you say, if I live, I'll live for the Lord. If I die, I'll be with the Lord. Rest is where you're not anxious for tomorrow. Believing that God has already figured out what He's going to do, even if you don't know. He called us to rest. That's what the Sabbath is. That's what the Sabbath was all about, was us resting from all of our worries and all of our work and all of our efforts to try to deliver ourselves and save ourselves and provide for ourselves, but put our trust in God. It says in Hebrews 4, there, there remains for the people of God a Sabbath rest, but some have failed to enter it yet. He makes it clear that if you don't enter the rest, you don't enter the kingdom because you don't love the Lord. There's no fear in the rest. The reason they did not enter the rest was because, in verse 19, so we see that they were not able to enter, that is the rest, because of unbelief. They did not believe God would deliver them. John Bunyan says that the worst sin of all is unbelief. It is such an insult to God to not trust Him when we've had some kind of difficulty in life, 
especially since he has already previously, and I'm going to say this with quotations, split the Red Sea for us before. God has split our Red Sea for us before. And we walked through on dry land before when we had no other way to get by except He opened up a way for us to get through a hard time. He has proven Himself to us many times over in our lifetime. What an insult to come up against another challenge and say, what am I going to do? The sky is falling. The world's coming to an end. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm fretful. I don't know how I'm going to make it. What an insult to God. A while back, Rita told me that she needed something. She really needed something. Um, and I told her, I said, just go ahead and get it. And so she went to get it, but then she hesitated to get it because of the price. It was well within what I could afford, and I wasn't worried about the money. I wanted her to have what she needed. But she was worried about the price and hesitated, even though I could easily afford it. I told her that it insulted me because I had already told her to get it. It's okay. But she was worried about being able to afford it. I told her it's insulting me because I'm her provider. I'm providing all of her needs, and I love her and I care for her just like the Lord does the church. Anything she needs, I'm going to make sure she gets it. That's my duty. Now, she's not one that goes out and spends money just to buy something. She's very careful. She watches what she spends and buys. And I appreciate that about her. She's not someone just to go shopping to be shopping. But this was something she needed. And I didn't like it because she hesitated and delayed about getting it because she was worried about the price. How much more will it insult the living God who has no limit to what He can afford if we start doubting and hesitating that He's going to be able to provide for us? And I'm just a mere man. Think about that. Probably enough said on that subject. I'm going to move on now. Another way you can tell what it means to love the Lord with all your heart is for us to worship the Lord every day and in every way and in everything we do by offering up our body as a living and holy sacrifice which to God, which is our reasonable service of worship, where we go on denying ourselves daily of the world, the flesh, and the devil, by denying ourselves of worldly desires and foolish things and empty things and worthless things, and live sensibly and godly in this present age and to love God with all of our heart. That's what it means to love God with all of our heart. To live like that. It's, it's ongoing worship. It's not something you go do at a church at 10 a.m. and at 6 p.m. and then Wednesday on Sunday night at 7.30. That's not worship. Worship is your life. It's what you're doing with your life before the Lord. You worship Him in spirit and truth when you love Him with all your heart and you live your life like that. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see, there's no ceremonies that we can do, no rituals that we can perform, no traditions that we can act out that will substitute for this. 
This is something we do in our body. This is the temple of God. This is where God lives here. This is where God, this is where you offer sacrifice. It's from the heart. He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what, what do we need? Being transformed by the renewing of our mind? We need our minds renewed. We need to have new mindsets. A new mindset only comes by renewing the mind through the living and abiding Word of God. And that Word of God comes either, and maybe both, by way of reading and studying the Word, and being instructed by those who know the Word. That's what true worship is. Having a mind that's set on things above and not on the earth. John chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. He had already spoken to her about things that only she knew. And she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming, and neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He says, the hour's coming when you won't be going to a church building to worship. He goes on to say, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, remember, eternal life then is not based upon knowledge. There's some people that think the more they know, like the Pharisees had all this knowledge about the history of the Jews and the Bible and all about Moses and Elijah and all these things that happened in the past. They felt very confident and very secure in their knowledge. But eternal life is not based upon knowledge. It's not based upon any kind of religion. It's not based upon rituals or ceremonies or good deeds or some kind of religious laws that we put ourselves under like the do's and the don'ts. Or it's not even based upon attendance to Christian meetings. Even though if you love the Lord with all your heart, you may do some of these things from the heart. But eternal life is based upon us loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it's based upon. It's a heart that loves. With God, it's all about the heart. In 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What he's saying there also, if you don't love, if you don't walk in love, you don't know God. For the one who does not love does not know God, he says in the next verse. For God is love. In verse 18 of the same chapter, he says, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So if there's something in you that's fear, 
that's holding you back from being honest or being open or being truthful or being straightforward or, or, or dealing with a problem or speaking up, you're not walking in love. If you're fearful, you're not walking in love. Because if you're doing what's right before God and all of your motives are pure, you don't mind making a mistake or doing something to be a little bit off balance because you'll get it straightened out later, sooner or later. You'll make it right. You're not worried about that. You're going to do what you think is right in all situations. You're going to be open and honest about everything. He goes on the next verse and say, we love because he first loved us. I remember Milton, I remember Milton Green saying that he was... He had never cared about anybody in his life but himself. He was 42 years old, and he was struck down with serious heart trouble and nearly died. Found himself at home, crawling around on his hands and knees, begging God for life and a chance. He got up from there eventually, got back on his feet. Then all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he was worried about people's souls. He would go pick up the poor and the needy and anybody he could find and put them in a church bus and take them to church because in his mind at the time, that was the best thing he knew how to do because he cared about people. And then later when he realized that the church was such a mess, he left the church system. He began to teach seminars and invite people to come. And that's where I went the first time to meet him. And eventually he had me speaking in the seminars as well. And thousands of people would show up because they were hungry for truth. They were fed up with the church world. He was doing this because he loved people and he loved their souls. And he did everything he could to get people to turn to God and to love Him with all your heart. If you find yourself wanting to see people saved, wanting to see people right, wanting to see people find the Lord, then you've got a good chance that you begin to love the Lord with all your heart. But if you find yourself not caring about those things, then I would question. If I were you, I would question your salvation. I would question who you really are. What's the point if you don't care about souls? So we love because He first loved us. You know, I was a very worldly, lost, defiled man till I was 32 years old. I think about the things that I did now and I still cry and grieve. I'm sick of what I once was. And somehow the Lord found me or I found Him. I guess it worked together. And I turned to Him when I was 32. And ever since then, I've been concerned about people's souls. I've been concerned about what's right. I've been concerned about truth. I've been concerned about trying to help people get free from false teachings and encouraging people and teaching people, instructing people, sometimes rebuking people, trying to get them to do what's right because I care about them entering the kingdom of God forever and ever, eternally. And you know why I do? Why I care? It's because He first loved me. He had mercy on me. And if He hadn't had mercy on me, I wouldn't care. When you come to realize He's had mercy on you, and He's saved your soul, and He's turned your life around, how could you not care about somebody else's soul? So we love, not because we're good, or not because we made ourselves good, because He first loved us. And if you don't realize that, if you, don't, if you don't comprehend that, if it's not in your heart to really appreciate that, then you're just dead. If someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, and that literally means he cares less for his brother than he does himself. That's what that literally means. You say you love God, and you care for somebody less than you care for yourself, it says right here, you're a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, 
whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God ought to love his brother also. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. That means God says, I'll live in you. If you love me and you keep my word, me and my Father will come and live in you. In verse 24 he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You don't keep his words, you don't love him. You can talk to Jesus all you want. You can come to Bible studies, go to church, sing in the choir, do whatever. If you don't keep his word, you do not love him. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing." If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And love is not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, that is, its own way. It is not provoked, that is, to anger. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. In other words, it holds no grudges. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. The greatest commandment is love. That is, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all of your energy, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Without this, none of us can have eternal life. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception Podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ, on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.